Get ready for brilliant people, brilliant ideas, and a regular good time. This is Brilliant Thoughts with Success People editor Tristan Almada, the show that thinks about how personalities, relationships, and communication shape business success. And now here he is, Tristan Almada. It's not a question of if a crisis will hit, but when it does, there's no time to stop and strategize. Will you be ready? Join me as I talk with Wesley Donahue. He's a political consultant and author of 13 Rules, Surviving Cancel Culture. Uh, This book goes into the rules he's used to help companies like SeaWorld and political consultants on turning around bad situations into opportunities for growth. Now, in this episode, we'll discuss Wesley's own experiences of being canceled and how to bounce back and rebuild your brand after you take a hit. Here we go. Welcome back to another episode of Brilliant Thoughts and Success Podcast. I'm your host, Tristan, and I've got Wesley Donahue with me. He just wrote the book, Under Fire. Welcome, Wesley. What's up, man? Thanks for having me. Dude, I'm pumped. Um, You've got a topic here that's very, very relevant with what's happening all over the world. And how did you decide to come up with this topic? Was it because you do this for a living as a political strategist or where did it come from? Yeah. So um, my full-time job is I'm a political consultant um, and that's about 70% of our work, but about 30% of our work is corporate brand reputation, meaning we help corporations when they step in a giant pile of it from a public relations standpoint and uh, I really wanted to tell the story of we, how we helped save SeaWorld after that Blackfish documentary went pretty viral. And then I went through my own little cancel culture moment and really started realizing that this isn't something that just impacts major corporations or celebrities uh, or politicians, obviously. This is something that could impact even small business folks or mid-business folks um, or even just like a teacher or a cop. And uh, I thought this was relevant to just everybody. So I wanted to, to write this book. Tell me about the SeaWorld incident, dude, where the whale <laughs> did stuff. What's up with that? I want to know. Uh, yeah, man, this would take, uh, might take a little longer than we have. I'll give you the brief version. <laughs> give, so, me, give me the uh, summary. Yeah. God, because it was chaotic. I, I really spent five years of my life doing nothing but trying to save SeaWorld. But so uh, the beginning of the story was that, you know, PETA had always protested SeaWorld for animal captivity, just like they did Barnum and Bailey Circus, which they ended up sur- shutting down that circus. But um, really, PETA got exactly what they needed when a trainer was killed. A lady named Dawn was killed by a killer whale named Tillicum. I remember and, that. Uh, a documentary came out called Blackfish, which was really one of the first documentaries that went viral for Netflix. Okay, and it was like at the, you know on that home screen of Netflix every single time you logged on, and nobody had ever seen anything like this. So a corporation, you know, as a corporation, SeaWorld was just completely stunned. But the argument in the documentary was because killer whales are kept in captivity, they go crazy and then kill people, Um, forgetting the fact that, you know, they're an apex predator and their name is killer whale. So, you know, they they kill things out in the wild, too. But uh, this documentary was what PETA needed. And uh, SeaWorld suffered dramatically. I mean, their attendance plummeted, stock price plummeted. I mean, they were they were borderline bankrupt, and then we came in and spent five years really trying to fix that problem. Did you? Did they end up turning around, or 
Yeah. Yeah. So after all that work, uh, we fixed the brand. I mean, first it was, which I talk about in the book, you know, just putting together the team, stopping uh, the, the, the bleeding, right? Before you can solve the problem, you got to stop the bleeding. And then it was years of that brand reputation recuperation. So I talk about that every single, so the book is 13 rules for surviving cancel culture or other crises. So each chapter gives out a rule and then ends with how that rule applied to SeaWorld and how we saved them. But really it lays out how you could take those same rules and apply them to, to your specific you know, uh, crisis that you're going through. Do you typically have entrepreneurs or or business owners reach out to you before they have problems saying, hey, we might need this in the future? Or is it more like, hey, we're in deep shit. We need your help. Yeah, unfortunately, it's the latter. Now, I I think it's chapter two, maybe three of the book. It talks about how you need a team in place prior. Uh, I actually wrote a blog post on it about it today. How I'm a big nerd, by the way. Um, I, I, I talk a lot about, about comic books and Star Trek and oh, Star Wars. But yeah. I was talking about how Nick Fury on the front end said, you know, we need a team that we need to assemble a team of, you oh. know, the world's mightiest warriors because he knew what was coming. Like, so he assembled the Avengers beforehand. He didn't wait until the crisis to assemble the Avengers. The Avengers initiative was taking place years before they actually needed the Avengers. And it's the same exact thing in real life, man. It's like, these guys reach out to me on the back end. But the problem with today's digital world is within, you know, 20 minutes, this thing can go viral very quickly. You don't have... And, you know, it could take days to find the right people. You're, you know, you're scrambling, you're calling your friends. Who do you know? Who do you know? And you just don't have that time in today's digital world because that, that bad hit on you can, you know, that's around the world in 45 seconds. So you really need to have that team. It's like car insurance, man. You need the car insurance before you get in the wreck. Dude. And that's so true. I'm, I'm thinking back to incidences that we've had in the past and I'm like, I would have needed your help a few years back. Like, that's what that's what attracted me to to um, talk to you. I'm like, this is interesting. So you say build the team. What does building a team look like? Who needs to be on that team, and how do we how do we find those right people? Let's say if it's not somebody like you that we reach out to, what does the team look like? Yeah, I mean, you know, again, I got that all in the book. Um, you know, I always say. You know, have someone who uh, I, I talk a lot about attorneys. You need to have someone on legal to tell you, like, are you in any kind of criminal um, uh, situation or even civilly? Right. That's the first thing you need to figure out before you can even send out a message is, am I in any kind of legal trouble? Typically, mm-hmm. um, a communications person like myself, uh, a finance person to look and see what kind of budgetary issues you could be facing, a crisis expert. And then, um, if you're a bigger corporation, someone in charge of polling who can look at the numbers. And if you're not a bigger mm. corporation, there are even tools. And I talk a lot about in the book about measurement. There are tools in place now to let you know how much trouble you're in. What is the conversation online? What is the sentiment of that conversation? Because a lot of times uh, as a business owner, you're too close to it. And this is like one of the first lessons you need to understand about crisis is you don't need to handle it yourself. Because when you're when you're in the situation, you're so emotional that you can't see the yeah. forest through the trees. And, you know, you might think the whole world's burning down where really nobody's actually talking about this. Sometimes it's just the opposite. You think this might not be a big deal, 
but it's blown up all over the place. I talked to someone um, the other day who I had met actually at a black tie event about two months prior, mm-hmm. and he didn't think uh, he was having a problem. And then I Googled the name of his company and it was legitimately in every single major news outlet in the world. I picked up this story. <laughs> and I'm like, That's bro, terrible. bro, like you're too close to the situation, man. This is a real problem. I just saw it on Fox News. This is not good. <laughs> wow. All right. Yeah. Well, with the cancel culture that we have now, uh, I felt like looking through your book, it was like the art of war, uh, kind of mm-hmm. preparation and, and being able to deal with what could possibly happen to any of us, right? So most of the people listening in here are entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, business owners, right? And they may or may not ever experience some type of this cancel culture, right? At a, at different levels all throughout. Mm-hmm. When we're looking at this for business owners, what do you mean by... When, when you say in one of your chapters, know your battlefield, and then you say, mm-hmm. by the way, you know, it, it's it's the, the internet, internet in case you didn't know. Yeah. What does that mean? So I'm going to give you a good example so that people don't think this is just limited to like, because people turn on the news, you're hearing the Joe Rogan stories, you're hearing the Dave Chappelle stories, right? And you're, you're seeing major corporations. I got yeah. a friend here locally in Charleston uh, who owns a restaurant and fired an employee. That employee went on the internet and said she was fired because she was African-American. And then she riled up all her friends. And next thing he knew, he had like 75 Google reviews and Yelp reviews calling him racist. Well, that's a real problem because Charleston is a a real tourist destination. So people are coming into town, to Charleston, one of the hot spots in America, honestly. People are coming in, the first thing they're doing is looking at Google reviews and looking at Yelp reviews. So there's the first 75 things they're seeing is one star, don't go here, they're racist. That's something that can happen to any business owner, any business owner, you could be a realtor, right? And I know, um, you know, realtors are constantly putting out content. You see it all over the place. What if um, they're showing a house and next thing you know, someone says, well, they hit on me while they were showing me that house. You know, they told me I was dressed nice. Next thing you know, they're sexist. You can't be around this guy. He's preying on women. Next yeah. thing you know, that's all over the internet. This We live in that kind of world right now where um, this whole idea of, innocence until being proven guilty that no longer exists on the internet. So when I say know the battlefield, know the internet, what I mean is you have to understand that anyone can say anything about you at any time. And that unchecked fact becomes truth. Like you are racist. You are preying on women. It doesn't matter what the fact is. That accusation goes viral very quickly. And then that's what you are. And that is, again, not limited to politicians or sports figures or comedians. That's very true. Where do we start with something like that? Because one thing that you said is like, innocent until proven guilty. I don't don't think that in any part of any world that we've ever lived in, that's ever been the case. It just feels like we're guilty until we're proven innocent, right? That's right. And where do we start with something like that? Where on the internet do we start with something like that? If your team came in and said, hey, this is what's... This is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to tackle it. Yeah. So first, let me be very clear about this book. I laid out, you know, it's called Under Fire, 13 Rules for Surviving Cancel Culture. I was very iffy on the word rule because I can't lay out a 
plan for everybody in this book because every single situation is different. So really what I was trying to do was lay out guardrails that said, don't do this Mm. or do this. So really what, if, if my team were handling that situation, we would have to step in and see what the specifics of it are. Um, if it were that specific one, we would probably go on, have him issue some sort of public statement because it had gotten so much traction. And then we would go on, we would respond to every criticism, and then we would start flooding those pages with positive reviews. Now, a lot of times you don't need to respond at all. There's a whole chapter in there that discussed, do I need to respond? Do I not need to respond? Do I need to apologize? Do I not need to apologize? But mm-hmm. sometimes when a situation has gone that bad, you've got 50, 80, 200 reviews, you really don't have a choice but to respond. So the very first thing we would do is we would go in after figuring out if they're in any kind of legal trouble, because again, responding in this case, could there could be some kind of harassment charge coming down that we don't know about, right? That could cause something even bigger. So the first thing we would do is figure out, is this guy in any kind of legal trouble? Then we would try to figure out what is the actual truth. Then we would try to look at the measurement and figure out how far has this conversation gone? What is the sentiment of that conversation? And then we would shape an immediate response for it. Got it. All right. That that makes a lot of sense then. With Since you're in the political world, you you get to also see a lot of the politicians that that step in step in shit and then they go in and say and then they apologize right and mm-hmm. then occasionally you get some that that step in shit and said you know what no no that was not shit that was not mm-hmm. no. and then they double down on how they are right and everybody else is wrong what do you do then like what happens then yeah again i got a chapter and all about that right it's a, apologize or double down Yep. Donald Trump, let's just be honest, Donald Trump changed the game, right? He, changed <laughs> he the totally game. did, man. He totally yeah. did. Yeah. I mean, you can't talk about this subject without talking about Donald Trump because not only yep. did he change the game for politics, but he changed the game for culture in general. And so now you see even, you know, businesses, small businesses, corporations all, you know, mimicking that playbook. Um, when I talk about apologies, I, I think it has to be authentic to the person, authentic to their brand, and authentic to the situation, meaning, Donald Trump doesn't apologize because apologizing would be inauthentic to Donald Trump for the simple reason that Don, look, I'm a Republican. Let me just get that out there too. Okay. I'm a conservative Republican, but Donald Trump doesn't apologize because Donald Trump doesn't ever think he's wrong. Okay. So if you don't think you're wrong, apologizing for something would be inauthentic. But then when you look at, let's just look at the Joe Rogan situation where that video came out with him dropping the N word a whole bunch of times. Right. And all people all over the internet were saying, don't apologize. Don't apologize. You said that was years ago, but Joe Rogan apologized because it's authentic to Joe Rogan to apologize. If you're a Joe Rogan fan, like I am, and if you're listening to this podcast, chances are you're probably a Joe Rogan podcast listener. A lot of us are then you know the guy's whole message is about empathy and transparency and understanding other people. So it wouldn't fit Joe Rogan's brand of empathy if he didn't apologize. That just, because that's just who he is. So we really have to look at the specific brand and specific situation because you can double down and and a lot of people are going to have your back and they're going to support you all over the internet and they're going to get even more energized to have your back. But sometimes you might just say some really awful shit or do some really awful shit and really just screw up and need to apologize. Yeah, I've seen that the too. Problem, the problem with apologies in today's culture is everybody's constantly demanding an apology, so they don't mean anything anymore. 
Meaning people are constantly screaming, apologize, apologize. You should apologize to that. If I'm, an, if I'm apologizing for everything I'm saying, then obviously I don't mean that apology. Therefore, apologies no longer mean anything. So apologies have to be super authentic to the person and to the brand and to the situation or else they're meaningless and people won't believe it. People believe Joe Rogan's apology. But if Donald Trump were to apologize for something today, nobody would believe him. Nobody. Because they know he ain't really sorry. <laughs> that's, that's kind of interesting. Right? And that, that's not an attack on him. I mean, I, yeah. I mostly support him. Mostly. Not everything, but mostly. Yeah. But it, but it's true. Everybody knows that. Yeah. It's very interesting. It's uh, And what do you say to those people that want to take on let's say a similar response to criticism that Donald, um, President Trump took over, uh, approached the whole world with, would you go back to the same thing you just told me and said, hey, look, it doesn't seem to fit your profile. You probably actually mm -hmm. need to need to apologize. It's not the way you want to go. Yeah, no, there are very few people that can do what he does. Now, a lot of uh, politicians try to mimic that. A good one is that Ron DeSantis has figured out a way. I, I think Ron DeSantis is great because he studied Donald Trump and he's figured out how to do everything right that Donald Trump did while avoiding all the dumb shit that Donald Trump did. So he's really studied that playbook. But not a lot of politicians can pull that off. Most people uh, don't have the really the persona or the intelligence to be able to pull off that double downing. Uh, so a good example, like Madison Cawthorn, if you paid attention to that guy in North Carolina, just got beaten as primary because he was trying to be a Donald Trump, but he just kept tripping over his, you know, his own, well, I shouldn't say tripping over his own feet because the guy's literally in a wheelchair. So I might get canceled for that. But uh, you, you know the metaphor. He kept, he kept stumbling over his, his own rhetoric. Yeah, I, I see that. I can see what you mean. Interesting. It's hard to talk about the cancel culture and not talk about politics and everybody involved in politics, right? It's well, because politics permeates every part of our culture now and every business needs to understand that you're seeing a lot of businesses get in trouble because they're listening to marketing people with no political experience. And they, those are two separate things. Got it. Marketing people with no political experience. Tell me more about that. What do you mean? Okay. I'll give you a good example. When we worked at SeaWorld, we never stepped in and said, we are the best people to put ass in seats. We are a marketing team that can sell tickets. That's not what we do. What we do is we fix political problems. We fix brand reputation problems because you can't sell the tickets until you fix the brand reputation problem. The problem is these marketing teams aren't like us. They come out and say, oh, we can fix, we can do it all. All this political stuff you're in, that's just marketing. No, that's not marketing. Like if Ford got in trouble tomorrow, the people that make the commercials to sell cars are not the same people that understand politics and can fix the brand reputation problem. Those are two completely separate um, professions or, um, you know, expertise. Got it. That makes sense. And, what, yeah, like and what SeaWorld did really, so SeaWorld got lucky because uh, their communications director didn't come from a marketing background. She was actually the former communications director for Governor Jeb Bush. So she had been political. So she went to the CEO and the board and said, guys, we're not in a marketing problem. We're having a political problem. We need a political team. And she hired us and a couple other political teams, a political TV firm, a political pollster, and together we we're all able to fix the problem. Yeah, I think the approach is definitely needed. A lot of people just listen to the marketing aspect of this and said, no, let's just go this route 
And then they don't end up solving really anything and not addressing it if it needs to be addressed. Hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Let, let's talk about let's talk about trolls because a lot of people, <laughs> a lot of business owners, they're like, no, I just I just can't do social media because I'm just scared of what maybe I say something wrong or just somebody will jump on a bandwagon. Let's just be like, no, you're an idiot. And then I'll have a whole bunch of trolls. It's just not worth it for me. How how do you approach trolls that that you've seen has been the best avenue to do it with? Ninety eight percent of the time, you just ignore them. There, especially on the political side, there are going to be people that are screwing with you just to screw with you. Um, you see it a lot with celebrities too. Not necessarily as much with small business owners, but occasionally that could happen. When you really have to respond to trolls is whenever they they launch a criticism that people are sharing all over the place. Or a business, let's say someone says there were roaches all over this restaurant. Well, that's something that you need to respond to. But if people are just screwing with you just to screw with you, like you see in politics, just ignore those people. Hmm. Only respond to like legitimate criticisms that are that are being spread. And that's very hard, man. It's very hard. I want to go back when we're talking about this. This is actually a good time to go back to chapter one. I started this book in a way that most public relations people would did, would not. And I talked a lot about mental toughness and mental fortitude. Yeah. And I and I said that I, a lot of people think it's really weird that I put this in here, but I put it in there because in almost every situation, I find that the mentally tough people survive public relations crises and the mentally weak people fail because the mentally weak people are responding with emotion and they make everything worse. Every decision they make is worse. And we see this a lot with the troll situation because people are so mentally weak that they just have to respond to everything and they get these social media fights and they just make it way, way worse. The people that have the mental fortitude, the mental fortitude, because like if someone's just screaming in your face, you want to respond to it. So it's the same yeah. thing on Twitter or Facebook in the comments. And then you see these people getting in these massive social media fights and they say something stupid and that just makes it a lot worse. Trust me, I've been there. That's how I ended up getting canceled. Um, I ended up surviving it, but it started with me getting in a Twitter fight. So um, do everything you can to develop the mental fortitude. I talk a lot about it a lot in this book. There's a lot of things you can do, everything from, you know, reading stoicism to meditating to taking cold showers, or if you're like me, becoming an endurance athlete and running 100-mile ultramarathons and Ironman. There's all kinds of things you could do, as David Goggins says in his book, Callous the Mind. And I, I, if you've never read David Goggins' book, um, Can't Hurt Me, you should, because it's almost like a crisis communications book. Like everything he talks about, as I was reading it, I was like, I wish I could give this book to every single client because if they understand this basic stuff about mental fortitude, everything else starts solving itself. Mm. Yeah, I like what you're saying here. And I, I totally agree with you. I think we fall into the emotional aspect of feeling like we're attacked and having to mm -hmm. respond because we feel like we're literally being attacked and and um a lot of us can't keep our mouth shuts either so i think you know i actually think it's even a lot harder for men to be honest with you i think there's this like idea that someone's um insulted our honor or something and we have to defend ourselves to defend our honor right we held, we're not ever going to let another man talk to us like that you know i see that a lot um but yeah. we if if we could just chill out find some some 
peace of mind, we can typically survive this kind of situation. Yeah, I think so. How do you start rebuilding a brand that's taking a hit? Like, let's just say, let's just use you as an example. You took a hit, mm-hmm. then you started coming back. What, what do you start working on first and how do you rebuild? Yeah. So for me, I got in a little bit of trouble. Um, I had people protesting outside of my brewery. I own two breweries here in town besides the political stuff and the corporate stuff I do. And um, you know, the first thing was to stop the bleeding and figure out whether I needed to apologize or not. In that situation, I didn't offer any kind of a public apology, but I did go and uh, I, I met separately with some individual employees and handled it in, in-house. And I decided to just let the story die. Um, you know, when you talk about responding, the really good thing is that a crisis occurs every 30 minutes now. So sometimes all you have to do is go silent and the problem will solve itself. Not all the time, but a lot of times. In my situation, all I had to do was go dark. And that's what I did. I disappeared from life for about three months, didn't put out any kind of content, just wasn't seen very much. I let the story die down. Then I reemerged um, with a lot more content that was a lot more thoughtful. So that was rebuilding my brand from this political hothead. Politico called me a knife fighter in one of their articles. So I really tried to um, rebuild the brand from being this hothead knife fighter that would gut you at any second um, and that would run his mouth on the internet to someone who was getting older, wiser, you know, three little boys now and being married for 17 years would do that to you, having 60 employees to do that to you. Um, so for me, it was about putting out more thoughtful content, uh, that changed people's perspective of where my head was at. Got it. Um, you know, with SeaWorld, um, is a, it's a much bigger story because we spent years on it. But what I realized, uh, once I visited the park was there was a lot happening behind the walls that people couldn't see when they were on roller coasters. And that was, uh, really the, the nation's largest rescue and rehabilitation operation for sea animals. And no, no one knew that about SeaWorld at the time, that they were rescuing all these dolphins and turtles. And most of the animals you see at SeaWorld were things that were rescued that couldn't be put back. So we decided to tear down those walls and turn the park inside out and really highlight SeaWorld's rescue and rehabilitation program. We put that on TV, all over the internet for years to let people know that, no, they're not torturing animals. It's just the opposite. If a manatee, if a dolphin, uh, if an orca, any kind of animal, like even a seabird, like a seagull, any kind of animal that's uh, ocean related gets injured, uh, government calls SeaWorld. Like I live here in Charleston. They sent boats from Florida all the way to Charleston to rescue two manatees. And it was it was about telling that story that people didn't know. I like that. Kind of like behind the scenes too, the buildup and what it takes to actually accomplish things. We often mm-hmm. leave that out. I feel like since you work on brand reputation, it's almost like you're also doing the PR work as well. Yeah. So it's my company is part public relations, part public affairs, part digital company. Uh, we're we're a digital first company and, and started so in, in politics and then went over into the corporate world because that's, I believe, where the battle is happening right now. Yes, a lot's happening on TV and in newspaper, but typically everything the TV and the newspapers are picking up is stuff that's happening on the internet. Yeah. So you got to know the battlefield. So we decided to really uh, become the nation's you know, leading specialists and digital brand reputation where do you start digitally online do you go to the main sites where where do we go you mean 
during a crisis during a crisis or when you're rebuilding like what's oh, when you're rebuilding. yeah yeah um it's a really good question again i think it's it's um specific to the brand uh a lot of this is happening on Twitter, to be honest with you. I think Twitter is the main, uh, the number one place that a lot of cancel culture is happening because that's where people are running their mouths. That's where they're getting in these internet fights. They're not thinking through their comments and they're just posting. So that's where you're seeing the real conversation happening uh, in real time. That's where things are going viral. So I would definitely say the first place is Twitter. Um, if you're like a restaurant or someone, uh, like a, a real retailer, for example, people don't think about it, but these these review sites are are massive. Google uh, is a is a huge one. Yeah. Um, Yelp is is obviously massive. For uh, for SeaWorld specifically, there was a massive YouTube issue we had to solve because people were creating all kind of videos. There were Facebook issues we had to solve. But I think the first place is typically uh, typically Twitter. All right, that makes a lot of sense, actually. And that's why they're the fourth most visited website in the world, according to Wikipedia, so it makes sense. Yeah, but the problem is they're the number one most rated, uh, most used website for journalists. Yeah, so that is very so, true in the media. So what happens is the media is constantly monitoring the conversation on Twitter, and when they see something blow up, they write an article on it, put it on TV. What's really interesting is lately, I've seen, you can find this every day, these lazy uh, reporters will say like, they'll, they'll write a story all about like three or four tweets. Like this movie is getting horrible reviews and it's like five people just tweeting some things. And then their entire article is nothing but tweets. I see that man, which is crazy, right? And that's that's the world that we live in. That's exactly right. What, what are some challenging challenges that you're seeing when it comes to how the cancel culture has progressed over the last, let's say year and where do you think it's heading? Well, I think it got a lot worse over COVID because people were just sitting on their computers all day. Um, I, where it's heading, it's a really good question. Um, there is a very good chance that what's happening with the economy, if we start, if we continue heading in the wrong direction, I think a lot of this is gonna solve itself. And that's because I think a lot of cancel culture is happening because people don't have a lot to worry about. And that is not to say that everybody in America has a really good life, but we have it better than we ever have in world history. Literally in the existence of this planet right now, we have it better than we ever have before. And it's like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, man. Once you've got your food and your shelter and your safety, and then you're moving up a couple tiers to like comfort, and you don't have any real problems in the world, you start worrying about dumb shit like what someone tweeted or what some celebrity said, okay? Now, if we start heading with all this inflation continuing to grow, if we head into a massive recession or even a depression, people are gonna have real problems to worry about. And when you're trying to feed your kids or pay your rent, you're not giving a shit what someone tweeted. So I'm a welfare kid. I grew up in Section 8 housing. I was borderline homeless. I mean, I, I we were on Medicaid and food stamps. We, we were poor. I mean, like we had, my mom went to cosmetology school so that she could afford the gas to get there. We had to go pick up quarters on the side of the road. That's how poor we were. When you're that poor, you don't care what someone posted on Instagram or Twitter. And if, if, we continue heading in this current economic trajectory, you're going to have a lot of people there 
a lot of mass layoffs, it, this economy is going to shit. And if that happens, I think cancel culture dies. If it reverses and we continue with, you know, glorious prosperity and people don't have anything to worry about except celebrities and reality TV and sitting on their ass on Twitter all day, then I think it's just going to get worse. What would worse look like? Because it's kind of it's kind of messed up as it is. But what would worse look like in your head? Worse is the elimination of free speech because people are are getting scared to say anything. And any kind of criticism is now being labeled as hate. And you're not allowed to voice your opinion on anything anymore. And um, I think that eventually leads to the collapse of democracy. And that, that, that scares me. It really does. Interesting. So how do we how do we continue to prosper and take control over something like a cancel culture? Where does that come from? I think it needs to start with every individual. First off, we have to be willing to speak our minds and to speak our truths. That does not mean we need to be assholes. And what happens is everybody is all over the internet touting their uh, specific beliefs, but they're they're doing so in such a way that it's creating massive divisiveness. And you know, there is a way to be uh, to disagree without being disagreeable. And when you have that constant bickering and that constant fighting, you're creating the heat. You're creating the fire that fosters this kind of cancel culture because then cancel culture, which we never defined. And I apologize. I think is when, not when people are trying to silence you, I think it's whenever they're trying to destroy you, meaning they're not happy enough with you. Stop stopping talking. They want to make sure that you get fired from your job, that your business goes out of business, that you can never work again, that your, your reputation is permanently ruined so that when you go and apply for another job, People Google your name and they see that you're a horrible human being. That's where we're heading. And that's where, not, I'm sorry, that's not where we're heading. That's where we are today. And each one of us yes. has to just tone things down. Because as much as conservatives, and I am one, like to say, this is all on the liberals, it's not true. We're doing it just as much these days. So if we're canceling them, they're canceling us. This is just going to get worse. Everybody just needs to chill out and figure out how to speak your truth without being an asshole. Dude, it sounds like this all stems from the examples that leadership in general are setting out there. And if we keep That's on- exactly focus, right. So it, it, it's a challenge, right? Because a lot of our leadership brings that divisiveness that you're talking about. Yeah, but I would make the argument, and because it's easy to blame leadership, but leadership is a reflection of the electorate. and we are what allows these kind of people to get elected. We, because of the primary system, we are tending to elect the people with the hottest rhetoric, the people that are most divisive. Uh, you know, for example, like, you know, a lot of conservatives hate Mitt Romney because of his position on Donald Trump. But when he tries to speak logically on every issue, because he's not a firebrand, he's getting hated on. Yeah. So, you know, we need to just chill out a little bit and stand. I'm not saying don't stand firm on your beliefs, but you can stand firm on your beliefs without being a jerk. And really, I think a lot of this just comes from keyboard courage, man, because most people wouldn't say to your face what they would say on the Internet. No. And that's what I've done now. I now 
since my cancel culture moment had taken a step back and, and I say, every time before I write a comment, I think, would I say this to this person's face? Oh, most of the time the answer is not because you'll get your nose broke. That's a good, that's a good litmus test, man. Every time. Would I say this to somebody's face? That's yeah. Most of the time you wouldn't. Most people wouldn't. I mean, I I hate to say this because they're going to, people are going to say that like I'm promoting violence, but like the worst thing that happens is, or the worst thing that has happened is enough people aren't getting their noses broken these days. Because that, that is truly what has happened, it, you know, to be honest with you. And I, I joke, okay? I'm not serious. I don't think we should go around breaking people's noses. My point is, because we're hiding behind a keyboard, we'll say anything to anybody. That, that's what's happened. And that's why people are getting canceled. We would never say these things to someone's faces. We just wouldn't do it. Most of us lack the courage. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, we take that even one step back and say, would we say whatever we're about to say in a public setting mm-hmm. to make sure that we're not dividing whoever it is that we're talking to, right? That's so, right. Yeah. I mean, look, most people, we go to a bar, you know, we're having a couple of drinks and someone beside us is a, a Democrat and they're talking about Democratic stuff. We're typically not getting in an argument with them. We're sitting there having a drink with them and having fun and talking about issues. But we don't do that on the Internet. We just start yelling at each other. You're a piece of shit. You know, look at look at the abortion fight right now. Right. You either want to lock women up and have them be subservient to men or you want to murder every baby. And there's nothing in that. There's no nuance in the situation. And that's what happens on the Internet. Oh, you hate women. You want to lock women in your house. They just cook for you all day. Or you just want to murder every baby. And, and there's no nuance. There's no there's no real conversation. That that's what's led to all of this. And I don't see that getting any better anytime soon. Yeah, it took a while to get here and it's going to take a while to get out. I agree with you, man. Very interesting to see this. Are you working on anything right now that's exciting you that has to do with what we're talking about? Uh, I've got a number of corporations I'm working with that I can't say. uh, But my most public thing I'm working on right now is Herschel Walker's U.S. Senate race in Georgia. Um, That one we're having a lot of fun with, man. Um, Trying to take back the U.S. Senate for Republicans, and that's going to be the biggest race in America right now. My my team is super busy on that one, always down in Atlanta. And Herschel's a really, really good man. And uh, it's exciting to work for that guy because um, he's just an impressive human being. I I don't know how much you know about Herschel Walker, but I don't get him. I don't get, um, you know, he's the best running back in football history. Uh, from Georgia, Georgia Bulldog, and he's just like this specimen of a human being that just like uh, he's one of those guys you're in a room with, and you're just like this this guy is not even the same species as I am. He's so freaking impressive. Nice, <laughs> the guy that. just a guy just a monster and a, a hell of a human being. So that that one's exciting me. That's awesome, and I I love that a lot. So when you take on people that you're working with like this. Do you look for specifics as to whether or not you can work with them personality-wise and what they stand for, mm-hmm. even, even if they're Republican? Or what does that look like on your end? Yeah, so, you know, when I started my career, uh, I was just trying to grow my company, and we would just work for anybody, you know? And I think most businesses are like that, right? You're just trying to get a paycheck. But now, 12 years in, um, you know, close to 60 employees, we have the ability to work with who we want to work with. And if I've learned one thing in politics is that um, – I've worked with a lot of people that I agree with 100% ideology, uh, ideological, that were horrible human beings. 
And I've also met a lot of really great human beings, the best people in the world that I don't agree with on anything. And I really am at the point in my career where I try to find the people that I agree with ideologically and are just really good human beings. And sometimes that's really tough uh, because there's a lot of assholes in the world. And we just have a real, you know, whether it's hiring employees or whether it's working with candidates or CEOs, we just have a no asshole role here at my company. I love that, man. I love that. Well, I appreciate you being on. And anyone who is looking to learn more about this whole process, the book is called Under Fire. And we kind of covered the 13 rules, but not in detail. So jump in, yep. get the book. This is Wesley Donahue. Wesley, where do people go and find more about you? Uh, you can go to wesleydonahue.com. I think I'm most active on Instagram, mostly just me running and pictures of my kids. But uh, occasionally there's some good knowledge dropped there too. All right. I appreciate it, man. I'm about to go follow you right now. All right, brother. Appreciate you, man. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks. Those are all the brilliant thoughts that we have for you today. If you like what you're hearing, drop us a review or just tell your friends. This has been a success podcast. Head to success.com slash podcast to hear more just like it. 